Welcome, friends, to Workplace Injury Prevention, a Fit for Work podcast where we are bringing the power of prevention to you. I am your host, Curtis Kapotic, and I am joined by my co-host, Amber Brown. Today, we have Forrest Richardson, the director of the safety division for Fit for Work. And, you know, Curtis, looking into 2021, I feel like we all know that we've got another year of changes ahead of us. Forrest joins us today to discuss kind of what this looks like in relationship to OSHA and gives our listeners some ideas on what to be aware of as we move into that new year. You know, and really nobody understands or gets as excited about learning about OSHA as Forrest does. He just has this great passion for this topic. And so not only is he well versed in it, but he cares about it and he wants to share that with others, which is so great. And the topic we're going with is how OSHA is spending their money and the general idea of how them putting out that information can give you the a little forecast as to what you can expect in this next upcoming year. And that's also his passion. That's the why he's the perfect person to talk to us about this and kind of break down everything for us. So everyone, I hope you enjoy this interview as Forrest breaks down OSHA for 2021. All right. We're excited to have Forrest Richardson back with us again, who has such great expertise on so many topics. But we're going to use your expertise to expand our understanding and a little bit more with kind of where OSHA is and kind of go at it from a different angle. Uh, there's kind of an old saying, if you want to if you want to learn something, follow the money. So today we're going to combine that money with OSHA and just want to give our listeners a kind of a big picture of what did OSHA spend their money on in 2020 and what can we expect from 2021 with their budget? Sure. Yeah. OSHA currently is requesting about 576 million, you could say 577 million, Dave Ramsey math, and uh, (laughs) about 1,896 full-time equivalent personnel for inspectors and that goes across all their different programs. So that's kind of the big picture what they're asking for. And this this represents really a de- an actual decrease about 4.4 million in funding overall, you know, for the general fund. And an increase of about uh, 12 full-time equivalent f- folks from uh, fiscal year 2020. So that kind of tells you that they're adding some folks and we'll get into some of the specifics about where they may be applying those folks, but This includes a program increase of about $1.4 million and about 10 full-time equivalent for new whistleblower investigators, which we'll get into a little bit later. And a program increase of about $450,000 and two full-time equivalent trainers and course materials to train additional what they call CSHOs, which is Compliance, Safety, and Health Officials, and investigators uh, funded over the 2020 budget. And to offset those increases, this is probably one of the kind of the more important things that folks might want to need to know is that OSHA is proposing to eliminate the Susan Harwood Training Grant Program, which was typically something where, you know, for small businesses and you could get free training materials and those kinds of things. And that's going to cut about $11.5 million off their 2021 budget. They're also including a program increase of about a million dollars to support what they're calling training modernization efforts and about another million to support information technology and kind of moving all of their stuff into the OSIS department cloud-based system. They're still maintaining a robust enforcement program, and they're providing built-in increases for increased personal cost as they see fit. So that's kind of the big picture. 
That's interesting. Now, how easy is this information to find out? I mean, I'm assuming it's public, but is this something that you think companies don't know they can find easily or just looking at this budget, is this kind of a, a complex thing to look through? Well, like any budget, it's it's pretty complex. But if you scan quickly, um, you can actually find it. You know, you can Google OSHA's fiscal year 2020 budget, fiscal year 2021, and you should come up with a link, some links to find that information. But it is absolute, uh, on OSHA's webpage as well. So you can do searches for that. And they have a summary, just kind of if you scroll through the table of contents, you can find the summary and then go to this, the pieces of where they're going to put their money. Forrest, what is OSHA's federal enforcement part or line item of the budget, and why is that important? That's a good question. The federal enforcement line item of their budget, that's basically the beef in OSHA's burger, so to speak. It's the part of the fund that shows kind of where the money is going for the enforcement arm of OSHA. And to kind of give you a, a recap, there's about 10 main areas that I typically look at. But what it really means is, you know, for fiscal 2021, that part of the line item is about $224 million and about 1,363 full-time equivalent personnel. That kind of gives you an idea of federally kind of how many people they have and what they're doing. And it basically is an increase of about $2.1 million above the fiscal 2020 year level. So that what that tells me is they're adding, you know, definitely a, a significant amount of money. And it may signal any, especially this year, you know, it may signal incoming administration's priority for enhanced inspections and enforcement of penalties, which you typically see over time kind of the different administration changes, you may have more of a pendulum swing effect of enforcement versus compliance assistance, if you will. And maybe it doesn't swing, you know, 180 both ways every time, but you typically see a little bit of more of a priority on the enforcement arm when you have, you know, a new administration coming in. And with the additional inspectors, the agency anticipates about 500 additional inspections will be conducted in fiscal year 2021. And this is assuming some of the newly hired compliance staff are capable to conduct those inspections independently, meaning they don't have to have OJT. Now, real quick, what is OJT? On-the-job training. So like any organization, Uh they have new inspectors or less experienced with the OSHA way of doing things. So that's going to have an effect over the next you know, when they're adding these full-time folks, you know, they're going to have a slowdown in that, just like any company would. They plan to conduct about 34,000 inspections and reach a goal of about 61,000 enforcement units. And the enforcement units are just their waiting system for different things that they find. And they're going to focus on the highest impact and the most complex inspections at the highest risk workplaces. So what this really means is if you're doing stuff that's, you know, really high frequency and high severity type tasks like fatality, catastrophic things, and things happen, they're going to have a tendency to kind of come look at you first, which is nothing really new. They already kind of know what industries are really high hazard, like construction and chemical plants and things like that. But that does kind of give you an idea of what's going on. And they anticipate the response to what they call severe injury reports. So what that is, is basically, you know, what I call a fat cat, fatality, catastrophic injury. So you have one of those at work, you're required to report it under the reporting rules, and they get a hold of that. That's what they call a severe injury report. And they do this all the time. And, And most of them are done by email. They send you basically an incident report and you fill it out. But what that's going to really do for them, since they're expecting more of those, is it's going to have them move some of their full-time people into what they call unprogrammed activities. So like any, if you want to think of this like a maintenance on your car, you know, you have planned maintenance, scheduled maintenance, you know, you change your transmission fluid and filter every 60,000 miles or 30,000 miles, you get your car aligned to X, you know. Well, OSHA has 
planned inspections and then unprogrammed inspections. Well, unprogrammed comes inspections comes from like severe uh, injury reports and just different things like that. So they're expecting those to go up. And so they're going to be applying their folks to that area as well. They're also going to continue to use corporate settle agreements as a tool to leverage their abatement of hazards. So during the whole penalty process, you know, you have that informal agreement where you can actually, like your taxes, you can go and kind of informally kind of, hey, you said this, I said this, and they're going to continue doing that. So that's a good thing for folks to know. They're also going to continue to use what's called the Severe Violator Enforcement Program, or the SVEP, to target employers who have demonstrated resistance or indifference to worker safety and health. So that's basically their hit list. And that's a public kind of a document. So um, you can find that on OSHA's website as well. And if you're on it, you're struggling with it. You know, if you're on that list, obviously you're struggling to get, do the right thing. So you want to kind of be mindful of not being on that list. There are site-specific targeting inspections, what they call SSTs. So in 2021, they plan to continue that, and that's going to focus efforts in non-construction workplaces. So the third year of their site-specific targeting inspections for non-construction workplaces with 20 or more employees, and it's based on the injury and illness information employers submit through the OSHA logs and the Bureau of Labor Statistics. So that's kind of where they're getting their information. Meaning if you have a higher days away restricted time rate than your peers, well, you know, they're going to continue to focus on that site-specific targeting for those high hazard areas. Again, that's for non-construction workplaces with 20 or more employees. So it's kind of your small business folks. Got to be mindful of that. Well, yeah, I can't, I got to imagine that they're, when it comes to OSHA, they try to be adaptable. It sounds like that they're not this stagnant program, that they are they change things in a way that no person should think, well, I, under, I understand everything I need to understand about OSHA. You have to keep up on these things because they continue to adapt. It sounds like they're a much faster moving you know, government agency that way, if you will. Oh, sure. And, and like any business entity, they struggle with resources and not having enough of them, time, people, that kind of stuff. So they're making a lot of the same hard decisions that any business out there would be. And also they're, they're trying to do a good job of trying to make a good balance. So I, I very rarely have I run into, you know, working with uh, OSHA compliance and safety and health officials, CSHOs, where they're just really, really hardcore and just not backing off and just really kind of trying to put that company underneath their thumb. They're very agreeable to, you know, the employer demonstrating, you know, hey, here's what we did. Maybe it's not enough, but here's how you can help. So they really do help out a lot as opposed to that. And I always say, don't fear the find. You know, if OSHA does show up, yes, there are key strategic things uh, that we've discussed in different podcasts over over the last year or so, you know, that you want to do to kind of manage it effectively and efficiently. But don't fear it. You know, they're a resource if they're going to see stuff, you know, once they're in, tap them for everything they know and get those problems solved permanently. John Grove, CEO of Fit for Work. I wanted to take a minute to tell you about a one-of-the-kind subscription ergonomics program now available from Fit for Work. For just 500 bucks a month, you can get quarterly visits face-to-face from one of our Ergo team members who will perform physical demands analysis, Ergo risk assessments, and or deliver training of all different kinds. Then in between visits, you have on-demand access to the Ergo team for any questions that you might have. So rather than scoping out Ergo projects one at a time, now you get an in-person, year-round Ergo partner that provides you more deliverables 
than you would for a, a typical project price. It's typically a third of the price. It's an incredible value and is easy to learn more at wellworkforce.com. Click on connect with us. Now back to the interview. I really like that idea of, hey, let's make sure that we are changing these things for the better of everybody, which is what it's really about. Now, when it comes to how you mentioned about Whistleblower Act, and this is a very interesting thing as to OSHA spending more of a focus on this. And why are they spending more of a focus on this? And why should this be of interest to employers? Sure, sure. The Whistleblower Act is nothing new uh, for compliance folks out there, you know, HR and, and environmental health and safety folks. They're actually in over 20 different statutes or laws, you know, so they're, they cover a lot of different areas. But essentially, it's the protection program that protects employees from retaliation, from reporting violations of various workplace safety and health issues. It affects airline, commercial motor carrier, consumer product, environmental, financial reform, food safety, health insurance reform, motor vehicle safety. I could go on and on. So it really is one of those things that you want to be mindful of. And so they have been beefing up this program over the last, you know, 10, 15 years. And it's, it's one of the first things you see on OSHA's homepage. So they've really had a concerted effort to educate you know, the, the working uh, population about what their rights are. And that's one of OSHA's mandates is to do that and to protect employees, obviously. Knowing that employees today are a lot more tuned in to, especially from a technical standpoint, how to get that information fast and research and that kind of stuff than they were, we want to be mindful of what they're doing. So under the uh, fiscal 2021 budget, they've requested about 20 million, you know, 20.2 million and about 130 full-time equivalent staff. And this represents an increase of about 1.6 million above the 2020 enacted level. And it includes a program increase of about 1.4 million, about 10 full-time equivalent to support additional investigator staff. What does this all mean? You know, when you look past the bun, you're looking for the beef in this whole thing. Well, there's a trend, it's going up that they're adding staff for these positions. So as employees, it's absolutely imperative that employers practice what they preach. You know, they have safety programs in place. And even if they don't, they have things that they're trying to do to protect their employees. Focus on those things, those safe activities. If you don't have a plan, which is not advisable, having good focused execution on the things that matter, safe activities, what they're doing to make them safe is better than nothing. So when an employee complains and we don't address or we have an incident and managers and supervisors and your team isn't following up and keeping them informed and engaging those employees, asking them what they think, that will make this part of the whistleblower program. It's like paying off your house early. You got four and a half percent interest, you know, on a 30 year note with your house, but you're paying your house off in a year. That interest rate's not going to matter. So from a whistleblower protection risk management for employers, if they're doing those, focusing on those safe activities, engaging their employees, increasing both the quality and the quantity of their conversations with their employees, following up and following through, focus on that. That's going to make this whistleblower interest rate not really matter because you're going to, it's going to help everything systemically, you know, from a culture standpoint. So basically it's, you're saying that if, if they are able to document that they are working with employees 
and able to show that they are attempting to address as best as they can, that goes a long way with OSHA to say, hey, yes, I know we know we have some problems, but at least we, we can see that we're trying to make a difference. 1,000%. They actually have a penalty reduction for that. It's called good faith. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> you know? That's really cool. Yeah. And their, their gravity-based penalty system is probably as complex as anything. But, you know, once you get through it a couple of times, it's not too hard to figure out. So, yeah, you definitely want to do that. So anything that employers are doing to practice what they preach and have a plan, even if the plan doesn't include everything, have a plan and get started. The plan is a living document. It can just, uh, you know, adjust and flex as you need to. So that would be my big recommendation for this whistleblower program. The other thing that kind of goes along with this is culture. We have a lot of safety banners out there. You know, we have a lot of safety first and, and that's okay. That's great. But if we're not actually implementing our safety program, the way we're not practicing what we preach. So we pra- we we preach it on paper in our documents and you know our kind of rah uh, rah meetings. But we're not actually tying it into supervisors, their performance evaluations, and making sure that they're following up and follow through with employees. So we're not practicing what we really preach. The employees obviously see the difference. We really want to focus on that. It's huge. And again, if we if we take those safety banners, and I'm not saying take them down, but if we look at those safety banners that are hanging around safety first, you know, do do whatever this way, have our leaders demonstrate that. You don't need the banners if our leaders are actually demonstrating that every day and every week. Because the banners, if you're not tying, if you're not doing what you doing what you're saying. It's basically just kind of advertising that you've got all these gaps. So uh, while I'm not saying take them down, I'm saying be more mindful of what you're walking past every day on those banners and, and have your leadership demonstrate that every day and that the banners are of less importance than the actions. And I think that could just be a podcast in and of itself. And we might have already done one just <laughs> yeah, as far we- as, as safety programs and, and the relationship between culture and and safety programs, because on site, I've seen a lot of different banners in different ways. And but I I think you're 100% right, you know, the the leadership depicts the culture versus what what a banner does. And so basically, with this with whistleblower act, what you're saying is, we're putting a lot of money here. So this is something our companies, employers should be looking at as far as let's kind of make sure we're following up on things and beefing up those programs. Absolutely. And again, you know, we're not a fear-based at Fit for Work. We're not a fear-based organization, you know, and, and I never recommend anything from, you know, hey, they're going to come down, they're going to crack down. You know, our employers and their employees already have enough anxiety just to get through each day, each month, each quarter. So this is not something to be afraid of. It's just be mindful of it and that they're kind of, they're adding about 130 people full-time. That's across the entire country. So, you know, state to state, city to city, that's not going to matter much. But what it tells me is just to focus on practicing what we preach, demonstrate that good faith effort. And the really details of it are get your managers and supervisors to get out there with their employees and follow up, whether that's an incident investigation, a near miss, that is cash money that you can't get back if you miss that opportunity. So that's what helps employees feel like they're being listened to. Their opinion matters, and we know today that's that's a big thing with with employment relations and challenges that we have. Great, and turning directions a little bit here, as far as we've talked about reallocating money or, or increasing budgets. First, what's the Chemical Safety Board, and why is that on the radar for budget cuts? 
Sure, sure. The The Chemical Safety Board is uh, the U.S. Chemical Safety and Hazard Investigation Board, generally referred to as the Chemical Safety Board or really more commonly known as the CSB. What it is is an independent U.S. federal agency that's charged with investigating industrial chemical accidents. So if you're dealing with these things and you want to think petrochem plants, you know, a lot of that kind of stuff as well. It was previously on the budget cut uh, agenda from the Trump administration. And as of today, it's being touted as being fully funded. And the challenge with this board, it's a five-panel board, and you had a lot of internal issues and a lot of politics over the years going back and some internal things going on. And like any board, they had to have a quorum. Well, due to people either retiring or moving into different positions, it went down to one person. That was actually, they only had one person out of the five and you needed three to have a quorum. Yeah, that's not very efficient to do much. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So they were really challenged to say, okay, well, how do we even keep this thing going? And so that's what's been going on over the last three or four years. And I think back in 2017, Trump was like, that's when he put it on the chopping block because it just wasn't effective. And I think over 2020, they only did one report. You know, they were trying to use money wisely. And I can, you know, you could have a difference of opinion about where that was going from a political standpoint, but just from a dollar standpoint, I think with the new administration, they're just going to renew it and they're going to get it back up and running and going again. This is really great information that I think is really practical to our listeners. Now, any other main highlights that you would want to think that they should know about when it comes to the budget or where you see OSHA going forward for this next year? Sure. Some additional uh, items to note is construction work sites will continue to be targeted through what they call the C-Target program, which primarily focuses on construction projects rather than construction firms. So they're going to be looking at projects individually as well, not just big big firms. That's just the the 30,000 foot view of how they're going to apply that C-Target program. So they'll be looking at individual projects versus bigger firms as well. In fiscal year 2021, They'll continue to focus on what they call the national and local emphasis programs. So these programs are nationally from federal. You know, they'll say, okay, federally across all 50 states, we're going to look at these specific safety hazards and or regulations. Everybody's going to look at that kind of the same in all the states. And they apply certain amount of full-time folks to do those kinds of things. And then the local emphasis programs are more regionally located. So you've got 10 different regions of OSHA across the country and continental U.S. And so locally, they look at different ones based on those industries in those regions, which might be different from one region to the other. So they're going to continue to, to do that. And any hazards that lead to severe, what we call fat cats or fatalities, catastrophic injuries, but don't forget illnesses, you know, because we have COVID now, we always had bloodborne pathogens, things like that, while balancing all that requirement to respond to all the unprogrammed activities. So they're going to have their hands full, but OSHA currently has about eight national emphasis programs, and those are focused on lead, ship breaking, trenching and excavations, process safety management, hazardous machinery, because there's there's your lockout, tag out potentially, but more importantly, machine guarding. Hexavalent chromium is one, primary metal industries. So they're just looking at those industries and their hazards and combustible dust. They're an additional eight local enforcement or emphasis programs that help regions and area officers focus on those areas that are unique to their industries. And and that might be something we can follow up with on another podcast because those that's a lot of content there. But federal enforcement, that part of the OSHA arm in, in fiscal 2021, they're going to be focusing on 
fatal incidents involving hazards associated with falls and crushing hazards in excavations. So your construction projects that have trenching and excavation, or even even your general industry locations that are having construction done on their site with this, they may want to make sure they've got the right people in the right place and they're taking care of that. Uh, Falls leading to to fatalities, those were actually one-third of all fatal incidents in construction in 2019. So they're going to be really focusing on those focus four hazards in construction industry. So in around April, you get the type 10 list will come out this year. Typically, they, they put it out in April after the fiscal year closes. So keep an eye out for around April for the new top to 10 for, uh, for 2020. Forrest, and you brought it up, so I'm blaming you on this, but it's on everybody's mind still. Being our OSHA expert, can you talk a little bit as far as what OSHA is saying about COVID? Any new resources, any new definitions we need to be aware of? Sure. OSHA actually has a COVID-related page, if you're not aware, and it's pretty pretty easy to get to. It's just OSHA.gov slash coronavirus. So if you want to go to their webpage, you can get you know a lot of good employment-related information from an employer standpoint, but also as an employee. So you can get a lot of good information to put out to folks. With the CDC, they've recently kind of changed their their definition that they use for contact tracing. So what they're saying now, close contact, and this goes to employers and corporate you know, they're trying to figure out how do I keep doing all this training when, when not all of it is online? Because a lot of OSHA training can't just be online. You know, we most of us recognize that now and requires actual experience and hands-on. So how do you really do that? How do you set that up? So CDC is basically saying someone who is within six feet of an infected person for a cumulative total, that's the operative word, of 15 minutes or more over a 24-hour period starting two days before illness onset or for asymptomatic patients or people that aren't presenting signs and symptoms two days prior to the test specimen collection until the time the patient is lo- is isolated. So we have challenges in, in all industries, you know, food manufacturers and, you know, all manufacturers, all companies, you know, and you're trying to comply with the law, keep your people safe, and then contact tracing comes in, you know, and you have those challenges. What definition do we use? Well, you definitely want to use the CDCs because it doesn't get really too much higher than that from an information type of a standpoint, especially on anything with an illness related like this. Well, it's a great resource for people to go out and, and find to know that contact tracing has a definition. It uh, it's, There's an expectation. And if they put it online, then it's up to employers to, to know this information and follow it. So we really appreciate you going over these things. And we will definitely be having you back to go over that to 2020 top 10 and get more information on that so we can keep helping people help their employees. So thank you so much for your time today. Absolutely. Thanks, Curtis. Thanks, Amper. Appreciate it. Had fun. Great to have Forrest back on and talk about those ever important things that people can do at their work sites to to help their employees with when it comes to OSHA. He really brings home that OSHA is there to help make a difference for the people. They're not there just to slap fines left and right. And I really like the that insight that you can know what people care about by what they spend money on. Because for me, money represents time. This is what they're willing to spend their time on. And it's not just about the dollars. It's about the time that they're wanting to spend. So knowing where they're changing their budget shows what they care about. And so I think we can all say for ourselves, what we spend our money on usually shows what we care about. 
Let's just say I'm really glad nobody's digging into my 2021 budget <laughs> right now. But something I uh, really appreciated was when Forrest was talking about the Whistleblower Act and digging a little bit into that and talking about the banners, the safety banners that we've all seen up around sites and, and how, you know, he specifically said, don't pull down the banners, but make sure your leadership is actually following along what those banners say. They're digging into any workplace injuries or any you know, near misses and using that leadership as the safety program, not just a banner. So we are going to have Forrest back in our next episode. He is going to dig a little bit deeper into the specific insights OSHA has for the 2021 enforcement agenda. Uh, he's going to talk both from the national kind of federal program as well as local and regional emphasis what regulations they are focusing on, and where to find more information. When we will make sure that we will be covering OSHA's new debt management program as well, and something that most people may not know about, so this is a new thing that they're doing, and just provide that guidance and information that employers can use to learn more about this. So we just want to thank him for, for bringing this information to us and talk about the you know those citations and penalties and what we can do. So the steps we can take uh, if you have a debt with OSHA. So just want to thank you for listening to this episode of Workplace Injury Prevention of Fit for Work podcast, where we are bringing the power of prevention to you. Please like and subscribe wherever you listen. And to get started preventing injuries, visit our website, wellworkforce.com or email us at podcast at wellworkforce.com. And remember, prevention improves lives. Bye.